The bullet-riddled sedan had screeched to an abrupt halt at the entrance of the airfield. Nearby, the two men who had been inside lay sprawled on the ground. Their blood-soaked uniforms identified them as members of the Japanese Navy's elite special landing force. The brains splashed across the dashboard showed that one of them had died inside the car. He had then been dragged out to be slashed, kicked, and pounded into a pulp. Half his face was missing and his stomach had been cut open, the sickly pallor of his intestines gleaming faintly in the night. The other man had escaped the vehicle but had only managed a few paces before being gunned down. A little distance away lay a third body, dressed in a Chinese uniform. It was several hours before dawn on Tuesday, August 10, 1937. Darkness still engulfed Hongqiao Aerodrome eight miles west of Shanghai, and the investigators had to work under automobile headlights and using electric torches. They were a diverse group. There were Chinese, of course, but there were also Japanese, British, French, and American detectives, representatives of foreign powers that felt quite at home in China's largest and most prosperous city after nearly a century there. Also present was a group of reporters from the cutthroat world of Shanghai's English and Chinese language press. Despite the antisocial hour, they had to be here. This could be big, very big. The investigators quickly determined that the badly mangled body belonged to a 27-year-old sub-lieutenant Oyama Isao, while the other dead Japanese was his driver, first-class seaman Saito Yozo. The identity of the Chinese fatality was a mystery. The scene looked like the result of a simple shootout. However, too many questions remained unanswered. What were the Japanese doing at a military airfield miles away from their barracks? Who had opened fire first, and why had he decided to shoot? The Chinese investigators and their Japanese counterparts didn't see eye to eye on the answers to any of these questions. As they paced up and down the scene of the incident, scouring the ground for evidence, loud arguments erupted again and again. Shortly before sunrise, they wound up their work, having reached no agreement on what had actually happened. They got into their cars and headed back to the city. The acrimony that the Chinese and the Japanese detectives displayed towards each other surprised no one. Tensions between the two nations had risen dramatically over the preceding five weeks, in Shanghai and beyond. These tensions were the result of distant events as hundreds of miles to the north an undeclared war was raging. It had started in early July when a series of misunderstandings had caused Japanese and Chinese soldiers to clash near Beijing in a hectic night of confused skirmishing. Very soon, events had taken on a seemingly unstoppable momentum of their own, as more and more areas around the old imperial capital were sucked into a conflict that still had no name. So far, Shanghai, in the middle of China's economic heartland, had successfully avoided any hostilities, but everyone knew that the peace might not last. China's future was uncertain.
What were the intentions of the Chinese government in Nanjing, the Yangtze River city from which it had ruled the vast country for the past decade? What plans were being prepared by military and political decision-makers in Tokyo? Would the Beijing turmoil expand into a general war engulfing all of China? The answers to these questions would also affect thousands of Japanese, soldiers, diplomats, and businessmen who were residing in Shanghai and other large cities along the Yangtze River. They knew that if war were to break out there deep inside what would then be enemy territory, they would all be in great danger surrounded by millions of hostile Chinese. In the present circumstances, all that was needed was a single spark. The incident at the aerodrome might be just that spark.